So in the conversation of coronavirus, which has now taken on new life with the interview President Trump did with Bob Woodward, the conversation has gone from what is this disease? Are we really doing our best job in combating it? To the president lied to us and therefore all these people died. But is that actually what happened? And then we have the constant back and forth on this group isn't wearing a mask and this group is being way too uh, ridiculous in in the idea of safe and they want lockdowns and lockdowns are, of course, un-American. Is there a conversation within the middle of it all? Not that there is a middle, but does the conversation exist? I don't ask you not to hold your point of view. I ask, is there a follow-up point of view? And does that follow-up point of view require a little bit of look? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. 833, got Tony. 833-468-8669. I came across Jim Garrity's piece at National Review, The Price of Unrealistic Optimism. He joins us uh, right now. Uh, You could check out his whole series of books over at Amazon.com, G-E-R-A-G-H-T-Y, Jim Garrity, over at National Review. Your argument on on this, or your your thesis, I should say, not your argument, that's a bad word, the price of unrealistic uh, optimism is that normalcy bias can be a powerful force in human thinking, but how long into a crisis before it becomes inexcusable? And my question is, what's the unrealistic optimism and who's guilty and why? Sure. Well, there's a lot to unpack there, Tony. By the way, it's good to hear your voice. It's been a while since we chatted, and I always enjoy being on your program. Um, So sometime this week, we're probably going to hit 200,000 dead from the coronavirus. Uh, I generally like the count that's on worldometers. Some people prefer the Johns Hopkins University count. Some people might wait until the CDC count. That goes a little bit slower. They try to verify things. They are currently at about 193,000. So sometime in the not-too-distant future, we're going to hit 200,000. That's pretty darn bad. This has been the scenario that kept public health experts up for years being worried about this. It is not quite post-apocalyptic, abandoned cars and dead bodies in the street. But I think everyone would like, I'd like, I'd hope to think that all of your listeners, you know, would agree that, okay, 200,000 dead over a seven-month period is pretty darn bad. Um, you don't have to look very far to find comments, not just from the President of the United States, but also from Vice President Pence, uh, also from the health experts that are currently on the White House. Uh, some of them are White House experts. Some are just have become kind of uh, cable television news and uh, social media stars for saying this isn't going to be that bad. People estimating, oh, the total death toll would be 10,000. This thing will be done by April, as Vice President Pence said, or, or by late April. It wasn't. And we were probably always set to have at least a one-year ordeal with this. And I think you know, I did, really didn't like Trump's comment where he said he was trying not to panic people. Well, we didn't panic, and look where we are. I think maybe we could have used, if not panic, then a little bit more concern. The problem in this pandemic was not – because was just, I, back in July, I went to spend a, uh, a week with my family down in South Carolina, at that point one of the uh, serious epicenters of the coronavirus. And I wrote, look, we've got to take this seriously. This is the worst thing since the influenza pandemic of 1918. And I got a whole bunch of pushback on this. It was on the way out. Herd immunity was right around the corner. Things were not going to be that bad. Well, depending on whose count, we've had roughly 60,000 deaths since then in a two-month period. It did not go away. 
Now, maybe herd immunity will kick in in the next month or so. I'd love to see it happen. I'd love to see the number of new cases dwindle. I'd love to see the number of deaths dwindle. But so far, if it's declining, it's declining very slowly. We're heading into flu season. I hope everyone out there is getting their flu shots. We're not out of this. And this, this seems to be the people who for five months have been insisting. We're just around the corner. It's almost done. This is going to be at some point you need to stop listening to those people. And you need to start preparing for this to be the worst case scenario instead of saying, no, no, this is going to be OK. I'll just count on this being the best case scenario. So now, Jim, let's kind of break that down a little. Because I don't make an argument to you feel we need to take this more seriously. Your actual statement was we maybe we needed a little more panic. I think the question there is, in your view, what does that look like? Hmm. Yeah, what does a little I more panic bring I'm not an advocate of going back to lockdown. So I wrote this piece today and a bunch of people have said, oh, so you're saying we should lock down again. No, no, no. Uh, we have what we needed was basically an attitude of constant vigilance, you know, as throughout as much of our population as we could, and that meant social distancing. That meant avoiding crowds. That meant washing your hands frequently. That meant wearing masks, which I understand people find terribly inconvenient. I guess they're all running marathons and decathlons, and it's you know it's it's absolutely unreasonable to expect them to wear them to the supermarket and things like that. Um, look, if we didn't want the lockdowns, then we needed to be responsible citizens. And even if you are a young person, and even if you are at the pinnacle of health, yeah, there's a really good chance that you could either catch the coronavirus and not have a serious effect. 40% of the people are probably going to be asymptomatic. They wouldn't even know they'll have it. But the problem is, not everyone around them is in that same boat. They're a whole bunch of, you might have an elderly relative. You might have an elderly neighbor who you get within six feet of. So you basically, it would be great if we had instant testing everywhere, and we're gradually expanding that testing. We're doing a much better job on that than we used to. But for now, you basically have to operate. There's a chance you could have it. So you want to minimize your contact with other people outside of your household as much as you can. I'm not expecting perfection. I don't think, you know, just a consistent effort across society. And, Tony, I don't think anyone can argue that Americans have made a consistent and persistent effort on this for the past seven months. Talking to Jim Garrity of National Review. Now, uh, I have known Jim for a good number of years, and we have had him on the show repeatedly, and we've agreed about things and disagreed uh, about things. And I do not, never have, and would not start questioning the bona fides, Jim, uh, your, your conservative bona fides. I don't do that. I think this is an interesting take at a conversation of, can we be honest about the thing in front of us? My problem was, and the reason I, I, I texted you this morning and said you got to come on the show, I knew you were going to take hits, right? You knew you were <laughs> going to take hits when you put out an, an, an article like this. But you said something that I, I, I question greatly. You said, if we don't want lockdowns, we need to be responsible citizens. The argument there is that somehow society is allowed to decide that we're irresponsible and keep us in our houses. I think people have taken, for example, these numbers about the, the 94% uh, of cases involved some kind of comorbidity in terms of people who died from coronavirus. And they tried to say, no, 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 pe these people died of coronavirus, but they also had other things. It goes to the conversation of people who are sick, infirmed, susceptible, should absolutely separate themselves, but healthy people should be allowed to engage their lives as American citizens as given to them by God and the Constitution. So how do I square the circle on a commentary like if we don't want lockdowns, we need to be responsible citizens? Yeah. 
My first thought will be I doubt we will ever return to lockdowns because I think there will be, there's not enough public trust remaining. You and want so to that bet on that? the blame on the Andrew Cuomo's of the world and the Phil Murphy's of the world. Uh, Phil Murphy, the governor of New Jersey, who violated his own executive order on restrictions of large gatherings when he joined a protest march for George Floyd. Uh, we had three. There, there was sorry, the first thing. If you're going to do the lockdowns, which may have made sense back in the first instance of spring, sort of as this um, you know, initial shock to the system to get Americans out of their normal behaviors, because that was what was spreading the virus way back in early March. It may have made sense for a while. I think you can argue that at some point the economic damage, to say nothing of the psychological damage, to say nothing of the delayed in what they called uh, elective medical procedures, but for a lot of these people it's cancer treatments, for a lot of these people it's knee surgeries. It's not, it's not plastic surgery. It's not fun stuff. This is, you know, health treatments people need. Um, that this was, that once you started seeing the uh, ticketing of the woman at the playground, the citation for the guy who was on the windsurfing board off the coast of California in uh, right. in, you know, every ridiculous example undermined public faith that this was serious. And it convinced people that this was like the TSA. This is security theater. This is stuff that's not really all that effective, but it's designed to make it look effective so everybody else feels more confident. Uh, I'm sure you probably saw the footage of the cops dragging the guy off a bus in Philadelphia for not wearing a mask. Another, all of these examples, you know, if you, if you wanted a lockdown to extend longer, which, I, again, I don't think we needed to, you needed government authorities to behave more responsibly. And by the time late May rolled around and the George Floyd protests came along, and in some cases, like Bill de Blasio, they explicitly declared that we're restricting all large gatherings, except for the protests. The protests are, you know, as if the virus wouldn't be there at the protests. Um, look, I, I have plenty of criticism for, for the Democrats in this. I think Cuomo's been a disaster. I think Phil Murphy's been an embarrassment. Every time you had something like Gretchen Whitmer's husband saying, can you get my boat out early? I'm the, I'm, I'm the, mayor, I'm the governor's husband. Does that, uh, does that open up any doors? You ended up with a situation where people would say, none of this stuff is meaningful. All of this stuff is theater. All of this stuff is just a mad power grab. And that's why you can't do it. And again, and it's one of those things where I'm a little frustrated because maybe, you know, it's conceivable. I don't think it will happen, but it's conceivable we'd be in a situation with either this flare-up of this virus or some future other, you know, uh, viral pathogen. And we would need to do a lockdown again. And you're not going to be able to do it because you've done so much undermining of public faith, of, of this, the good faith, that the idea that these are genuinely necessary and that they're not some power-mad effort by Gretchen Whitmer to get rid of the seeds out of Walmart that has always been her enemy or something. The undermining of good faith, I think, is an extremely true and important conversation, and one that has to be dug into more because that absolutely did happen. If you want to say that President Trump was wrong for for underplaying, right, downplaying coronavirus, I... I have no issue with that. I have said I don't think it's going to move anything in the election, but I don't think that it's wrong to say you think he was wrong for how he decided to do something. I don't think it was criminal. He made this call, and you don't think it was the right call. As I would say that about Cuomo, Murphy, Pritzker in Illinois, uh, what Pelosi did with the haircut, what my own governor in Indiana, Eric Holcomb, taking a picture with two women in a restaurant, no mask on, that was in May or, or, or June, and then brings about mask mandates that they have no penalties on, which has been a whole disaster here in, in in my beloved Indiana. But the idea that the lockdowns can't come back, you take a look at all the people who complied and all the businesses that allowed themselves to be closed and didn't actually fight back. I'm telling you, Jim, here and now, of course, lockdowns could come back because the one thing we have proven is that the American people are very, very pliable. 
and 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 to the shame i would argue of the american people that they were not more resolute in saying absolutely not i'm feeding my family i'm opening my business which is not selfish it is rather the other way to tell some businesses they can't be in business but people who work in government still get a paycheck and reporters still get a paycheck well, i don't find that acceptable on any level right but i want to get to the virginia Go ahead. i think about two three weeks ago we had movie theaters open up and off the top of my head, I can't think of any businesses that are completely closed right now. Now, different states will have different situations. But, you know, my guess is that there's pretty much, at this, if you can have a movie theater open, there are very few, other than like, you know, densely packed indoor dining. You know, most of our restaurants are at 50% capacity. Most of them have taken steps to expand their outdoor seating. Um, we, we, everybody has tried to adjust. We knew this virus wasn't going to go away. Two weeks to, to, to bend the curve. It was, you know, didn't mean it was going to be over in two weeks, right? We're, we're dealing with this until we get a vaccine. With luck, we're getting it towards the end of this year, early next year. You know, so the question is, how do we live with this virus until then? And I think an important part of that must have, should, have, should have been, for everybody who's in a position of authority, whether it's local or state, how do we keep as many businesses open while we can? We saw the Paycheck Protection Program. We saw various steps in that direction. Um, we've also seen the, you know, ludicrous cases of Cuomo going after the bars that were... Uh, uh, you know, Cuomo trying to decree what constitutes a meal and you could eat a meal at the bar. Ludicrous micromanaging, right? I notice you, if you want to look at, say, Taiwan, if you want to look at South Korea, if you want to look at Japan, they're very different cultures. But none of these countries are what we would call authoritarian, right? They, these are free societies, even if they govern, their government is a little bit different than ours. They have much higher levels of social trust. Most of the Taiwanese, most of the South Koreans, and most of the Japanese when their government health authorities said, we really need you to do this, the vast majority of the population said, okay, I guess we really need to do this. We're going to do this. You know, Tony, I'd really like to live in a culture that had higher levels of social trust. And so, yeah, I got, I got plenty of anger at uh, Pence and Trump and, and various Republicans in there. I got plenty of anger at the Democrats in there. I think overall it is a largely a government failure. However, I think of the two philosophies, the one that has done more damage, Tony, has been the people who have been insisting from the beginning, this isn't going to be that bad. Trust me, you're going to be fine. Well, here we are, nearly 200,000 dead people later, we're not fine. I, I got to tell you that uh, I think this public trust conversation is something you should dig into more and write about more because I don't think you're wrong. Here, here's the, the, the question. If you don't believe in lockdowns, and the number gets to 200,000 in an open society, which isn't true of a lot of the other societies that you're talking about, even though they may have a larger amount of social trust, how do you expect a smaller number? Meaning that if you want a smaller number, you'd have to enact policies that are antithetical to the American experience. How do you propose making that happen? Because this, I think, is the, is, is the thrust of the conversation over a beer on the bar stool, right? Yeah. How so, does that happen? There's that. You could argue it would be really nice if the President of the United States would wear a mask. It would be very nice if the Vice President of the United States would wear a mask. It would be very nice if they could speak bluntly and honestly instead of saying, oh, but this is going to go away. It'll go, it goes away in warm weather. Well, clearly that's not the case. We've constantly been telling us, don't worry, this isn't going to be that bad. And instead of that, we, needed a very, we had some of this from Dr. Burke, some of this from Dr. Fauci, some of this from Dr. Redfield. But generally, we need a unified, you know, front from our leadership telling us, look, this is a really serious deal. Here's, you have to start figuring out, how can I live my life economically, socially, psychologically, 
Um, and how, how can I function with as minimal contact with other people closer than six feet outside of my household without wearing a mask? And that means, you know, look, I'm, there are a bunch of restaurants that have not made it through this. And that is an absolute heartbreak and just a gut punch to this country. But a bunch of restaurants have been able to make it because they figured out, okay, how do we make a better margin on takeout and delivery? Uh, you know, one of the few inno- positive innovations to come out of this whole giant mess, Tony, at least in my state, is takeout alcohol. Mixed drinks. Finally, we're loosening right. up the laws on this. We have figured out how do we, how do we function. Look, we're in a really unusual set of circumstances. Everybody's got to sacrifice. Everybody's got to figure out, okay, how can I do what I always do in a way that minimizes the risk to myself and minimizes the risk to everyone else around me? And we needed, it was, we had to recognize this was not something that was going to go away in a short period of time, that we we're going to have to figure out a way to get through this in the spring and in the summer. And here we are in fall. And it's probably not going to be winter until we get to my, my school's closed in my area March 12th. I'm hoping they get back on March 12th. We're, we're dealing with that online learning stuff, which is, you know, substandard. It but is, everybody it is beyond is a substandard. Because these are really uh, un- Jim, unique and unusual bad circumstances. I'm, I'm up against it. His name is Jim Garrity, G-E-R-A-G-H-T-Y. Follow him on Twitter. Go to Amazon.com, punch in Jim Garrity, check out all the books. Uh, the Heavy Lifting is, is a great book about parenthood. He also has a lot of very, very cool fiction uh, pieces in there, including The Weed Agency. The man is prolific, I tell you. Jim Garrity, National Review. I appreciate you taking the time. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz.